It was 7 o'clock at night. Nan and I were sitting in our house in California, putting the kids to bed, trying to recover from the day when the phone rang. <laughs> and a baby cried in the distance. <laughs> then there was a train. <clears throat> Take two. <clears throat> it's now like all I can hear in my own head, though, is, and a baby cried in the distance. <laughs> <clears throat> phone rang and it was one of my brothers who I never heard from at that point. This was 13 years ago. And he told me that my mother, who at the time was 70 and in excellent health, had just had a massive stroke. She was in a coma and likely would not make it through the night. As I am trying to digest this information, Nan caught enough of it that she got online and began immediately searching for plane tickets for me. My mother had, just, had been medevaced to, she had been in Maryland and medevaced to the Georgetown Medical Center. And we did everything we could to get there as fast as we could. We could not catch the red eye that night. I was too late to get on, uh, on board it. And uh, so I got one as soon as I could the next day. 7.30 the next night, I arrived by limousine from Baltimore to Georgetown Medical Center. As I got out of the car and didn't know exactly how my mother was doing, what I couldn't stop thinking of was 24 hours. I found out 24 hours ago that my mother was probably not going to make it through the night, and that's how long it took me to get here. My mom survived, not um, without significant damage. And over the next month, I traveled back and forth <clears throat> over and over again to try to help my dad make decisions and to try to be there alongside my, my mother. And something began playing in both my wife and my head, which had been playing for a few years. And it was this, honor your father and mother just might mean live somewhere near them. We had spent years doing what we believed we were supposed to do. And I'm not saying we weren't supposed to do that. But we, t we went where we felt God led us to anywhere from New Hampshire to Moscow to California to Colorado. And this verse, it began when we first got to California and my wife's father died out of the blue a month after we had gotten into California. We looked at each other shortly after that and said, honor your mother and father means living somewhere near them. And so because of that, <clears throat> we ended up in Charlotte, North Carolina. That verse had never, honestly, you know, it's in the Big Ten, one of the Big Ten. And uh, most of them seem really big, like the next one is, you shouldn't murder people. If I was creating top ten, uh, yeah, murder, that's going to be in there. Shouldn't do that. That seems right out. <clears throat> Honor your mother and father, I don't know that I would have put there in there, but it was really interesting. That's one, it's probably the first time one of the Ten Commandments made me go, I need to change my life. Because I hadn't murdered anybody up to that point, and so it didn't have this huge impact on me. But seriously, so is it honor your, I mean, I, the phrase is stuck in my head. Now, 13 years later, honor your mother and father just might mean moving back somewhere near them. 
And so we did. We picked up and we moved back here. Honor your mother and father. I'm going to read the passage to you. It's in, it's in the Bible twice. But the, I'm going to read the one in Deuteronomy. And for, for those of you who don't know, the, the Ten Commandments, they're, they're, they're really a part of a much broader set of commandments that, that Moses gave to the ancient nation of Israel. But these ten stood out. They form sort of the core of what the life ought to look like in following God. And this is what this one says in Deuteronomy 5.16. Honor your father and mother as the Lord has commanded you so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land that your Lord, your God, is giving you. It is, it's often phrased, so it's the only commandment with a promise. Honor your mother and father so that you may live long and that it may go well with you. Now, there's two ways to view this, this that it may go well and, you know, one is to say, God is essentially saying, look, you either do this or I'm going to kick you in the you-know-what. You know, honor your mother and father or it's not going to go well. Trust me. I, I don't think that's it. Honor your mother and father because there is a principle implicated in this, which if you learn it, you'll live well. And if you don't, you won't. Now, that song, Hide and Seek, I'm struck by even just the title, Hide and, and Seek. Over the years, I've become increasingly convinced that this is what relationships look like for most of us. There's something within us that fiercely longs to connect with other, other people, that honestly can't imagine life disconnected. And at the same time, there's something within us that retreats, that fears if I get too close, it may not go well for me. And so we live in this tug-of-war, which is often just an internal tug-of-war, desiring somehow to bridge this almost immeasurable gap between two souls and find a real connection with somebody or with some people. And that other part of us, that when we get that connection, we withdraw a little bit because it touches in places we're not sure we want to be known at. And so the struggle goes on back and forth. The struggle is so strong and it's so important because at the core of our lives, the fundamental truth, the thing we were most supposed to live out, is to learn to love other people. Everything else absolutely goes by the wayside. That's what Jesus says. You want to know what life's about? Love God. Second thing is like it. Love others. Do that, you'll be fine. You really won't have to worry about anything else. And yet, it is not the, it's the simplest. I mean, really, how hard is it to say? And yet, it's the most difficult. This is our um, Destiny. This is the calling of the human soul. Is to love those who we owe nothing to. Is to love people who've done us no good, who've not sought to heal or help our life. To love people for no reason other than we choose to. Tolstoy, in his book, Family Happiness, he describes... In a shorter version than War and Peace, he describes what it is to discover happiness. And in one line of that, what he says is, is to do good to those who have not come to expect it. This is the height of the human experience, is when we can learn, when we can almost as if falling out of bed, we can love people who don't deserve it 
Jesus at one point says, look, you love people that love you. That's just great. But everybody does that at some level. The key is loving people who don't love you, who don't care about you, who honestly, who there's nothing but indifference toward you. That's the height of the human soul, to learn to love people that you owe nothing to. When we reach that pinnacle of human experience, there's a freedom, I think, because I have not experienced that. If I was to tell you today, when you reach that point, here's what it looks like. It would be like me telling you what it looks like to stand at the top of Mount Everest. I haven't done it. I've climbed Mount Adams, all 5,000 feet of it, not Mount Everest. But it seems to me there is a place that the human soul reaches in its connection with God where it simply loves other people because, and then it finds freedom, real freedom, no longer bound by any sort of thing that keeps the soul stuck in the places that cause pain and heartache. Well, if that's the pinnacle of the human experience, if that's what we're called to, then clearly honoring your mother and father ought to be way easier. Right? Because it seems like we owe them a lot. It seems to be true that often the hardest people to love are the people who are closest to us. Now, why is that so? That's a rhetorical question that probably every one of you knows the answer. There's two reasons, them and us. But see, the closer you get to people, the more you see about who they are. There is no, that's uh, not true. There is probably not many children who've ever grown up and haven't thought at some point about their parents, my parents are idiots. Seriously, how can they have gotten this far in life and know this little? Because we see all the flaws and foibles in our parents, how can we not? Because as parents, you know, if you're a parent, you're trying so hard to figure out who to do what is undoubtedly the most complicated thing in life, which is to help raise another human being. And since we're not that good yet at living our own lives, the concept of trying to help another human being live a full life and to go to places we've not yet gone is kind of tricky. And so the mistakes are seemingly endless. I don't have to go and look at my mother and father to figure out how parents make mistakes. I've got plenty right here in my own life to figure out. And so as a child, you look at your parent and you go, oh my goodness, how did I, how did I come from this heredity? And somehow in the process, we forget that parents really sacrifice everything. Now, I got to take an aside. You know, I got to take an aside here, right? Uh, I would be a fool to think that everybody's story of their parents can even include that. I know that. I know there are exceptions to the rule. I know there are places where you have, you've not known a parent or the parent has abandoned you. I do know that. I know, and I know there's probably nothing that's more heartbreaking in life, so let me not 
lay um, this moment of guilt on you that if your parent abandoned you, that somehow you're supposed to see the great sacrifice they had for you, okay? Aside, in most cases, most of our parents, except in most extreme cases, what we see in them is people who sacrificed a lot. They gave up time, energy, soul, emotion, and money. I read an article this morning, I think it was on Yahoo, I can't remember where it was, and it was calculating the cost of raising the child, and it said before college, $227,000. I think they badly underestimated that. <laughs> you know why? At one point, I did it. I did the numbers. I was sitting there, and I was like, oh my goodness, and I was calculating it, and I showed it to Nia. I said, look, look at how much this costs us. And it's just part of your life. You look at they go, oh, think how many vacations you had. Nobody thinks that. Well, maybe for moments. But normally you don't think, look at how many vacations I had if I just didn't have children. The answer would be a lot. But you never think that way because something happens when you become a parent that makes you love that child in ways you can hardly imagine. It doesn't always happen the other way. For kids, we can look at our, our parents and see all of their flaws and foibles and eccentricities and forget that we owe them a debt of gratitude, which quite honestly probably can never be repaid. There's a passage in the end, well, it's toward the end of the Bible. It's in one of the letters that Paul, one of the early church founders, writes to a young man named Timothy. And in it, he's talking about the relationship that Timothy, he, wa he wants to teach Timothy to show other people about how to deal with those around them. And, and this is what it says in, in chapter 5. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. As he's going to use the analogy of family relationships to talk about how do you treat people. It, why would we treat an older man harshly? I'm not going to answer that. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But watch this. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice for caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God. A little while ago, I talked about the passage in James where it says, this is true religion, to serve the or orphan and widow in distress. Part of the, the, the concept there was that God said, serve the people in the margins. The people in the margins are the ones that need your love the most. In this passage, God says, that's still true. I still want you to care for widows. But if the widow has children or grandchildren, they should repay the debt that they owe to their parents in caring for the widow. That you can't get around the fact that while the Bible teaches this sense that we do not want to live by duty or obligation, nonetheless, nonetheless, there are people who do things for us that give their lives away to us in a way that calls for that the only appropriate response is gratitude. This is why this commandment is so important. If, if we cannot learn to honor our mother and father, who we owe a staggering debt of gratitude. If we can't learn to love them, what that means is we've remained a slave to our own preferences and desires. Because why can we not learn? Why is it so hard to love those close to us? Because we see all their flaws. And those flaws become the basis by which we treat them such that we don't give them love because, wait for it, they don't deserve it. 
We can't love those who we see clearly their flaws and foibles. How will we ever reach that place of the human soul when we love people who are enemies, who are completely indifferent toward us? We won't. Honor your mother and father teaches us a principle. You've got to learn this. If you don't, this is, I'm not telling you this. This, is what, this seems to be what God is saying. You've got to learn this. You have to learn to see past your own preferences or you will always remain a slave to them. And honor your mother and father. And the, the truth is, it's often true of, of marriage as well. There's nobody who knows us as well as our spouse does and we them. And that's what often makes it the most difficult to love. You see, Nan knows things about me. Y'all never know. And the fact that she still loves me is kind of stunning. Because if she added up a ledger and she looked at whether or not she should, I could even say to her, oh, you're really off the hook. I don't think you've got to do a thing. Because I I don't deserve it. I've not earned it. I don't have a right to her love. But see, to the extent that we get into those close relationships with our parents, with our siblings, with our, our spouses, and we learn not to love them because we don't deserve it, they don't deserve it, the whole foundation of what God is trying to do for us and in us collapses. See, sometimes I don't mind loving the person I don't know. But when you love the people close to you, be honest. Sometimes you're gritting your teeth and you're saying, yes, I will do this for you. And you're just sliding in that little comment. Just, it's just a comment. You're just sliding in that little comment. I'll do this even though you didn't Seriously, sometimes it's just easier for, to, to love people that you have no connection with whatsoever. But that isn't really love. That's just, you know, I'm just giving a little favor over there. We learn how to love in the context of our deepest relationships, period. We become free by learning to love in the context of our deepest relationships with the people who have given us the most but have hurt us the most. That's the place where our heart becomes unshackled because really, really, why can I not love somebody who hurts me? Not about them. It's about me. Because they have struck something within me. Something about my soul which is a bit broken. And when they're, you know this, everybody close to you, they, can put, they, can, they know the buttons to push. <laughs> they know the ones that will send you over the edge. The problem is, we have those buttons. And it's only in the midst of discovering those places where we were the most deeply broken and the most deeply marred and learning to find healing there that we can actually become people who are free from those. I don't blame you or me for our pain, but no, neither do I want to be enslaved to it. And neither do I want you to be enslaved to your pain. To let that determine who and how you love, to let that determine whether or not you become free. So, 
honor your father and mother. As that verse sits right now, this is what I'd like you not to do. Okay. He's right. My mother's an ass, but she did give a lot for me. And so, I guess I'll... It is Mother's Day, too. So I guess I'll do something nice for her. Because I should. I mean, really, that's going to that's gonna get you absolutely nowhere. Honor your father and mother means stopping and going. So what is it that keeps me from loving the people closest to me? What's within me? What's the wound? Because it, it's, it's going to always keep me from being free. The questions are always better than the answers. Why don't I love those closest to me? It's a much better question than I guess I should. Why don't I? Because it's in that that you bring this core hurt, wound, sin before God who is the model and the picture of what love looks like. You see, I don't know how to break this to you, but God loves you. Just hang with me. Not because of who you are. It's really in spite of it. I mean, you, you, relatively speaking, on a relative scale, you're fine, people. But God doesn't love you because it's like he not looked at Chris and said, Chris, oh, got to love him. He's awesome. So I'll love him. Some of you others, I'm still thinking about it, you know. God loves us in spite of who we are. Now, do I believe he sees a core within us that he created? Absolutely. Absolutely. But his love doesn't measure and weigh itself day by day based upon how well we do. And thank, thank God he doesn't do that. Because I can't survive that, really. Then I'm put on a performance scale. God looks at every one of us and he says, I choose to love you. Why? Just because. People ask these, why did Jesus die for our sins? I don't really have a good reason. He seemed to want to. Because he seemed to love us. And I kind of have to stop there because there doesn't appear to be an answer beyond that. And what happens when we think about honoring our mother and father and when we realize the places that we don't, then we discover the brokenness that keeps us enslaved. When we discover the brokenness that keeps us enslaved, we turn toward the only one that we can really bring that to who will love us even with that, our Father in heaven, and then we find healing. And then our heart begins to change, and then we are moving toward that pinnacle of the human soul that loves just because. So, today, if you're fortunate enough to have your mom and dad still around, or even one of them, yes, they have screwed up. But in their own way, in the midst of their foibles and falls, they love you. And probably nothing would mean as much to them as you reaching out to them and telling them that you love them and care for them. And then take a bit of time to discover what is it that makes it so hard for you to do that. And in that place of your deepest marring, you'll be moving toward the path of becoming the person who is free. Let's pray.
Lord, it is difficult for us at times to be in a relationship. It's great. Such a real beauty to it and joy to it, but it is difficult at times for us to be in a relationship because of others and because of us. And I would pray that as this verse on Mother's Day will hit our heads, honor your father and mother, that it would be not a moment of dutiful, grudging obedience, but a moment where something is sparked in our heart that sees the beauty in the people closest to us and loves them, but also sees the beauty of loving people just because. I pray it would also be a transformational day where this verse hits our heart in such a way that we realize that we struggle at the core to love people who've hurt us or disappointed us in some way and show us how that keeps us enslaved and heal us so we can become free. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the second service, we're going to be baptizing a young woman named Kristen Martinez, and Kristen is going to, by video, share her story with you in, in just a moment. She has not been at Warehouse all that long, brought here by a friend who we baptized, Paola, just a couple of weeks ago. It's a great story about the pursuit of God in the midst of the community to bring somebody into a loving relationship with him. been living in Charlotte for about four years. I'm originally from Texas um, and moved here from Oklahoma and I've been going to her house for about a year now. I think that Paola asked me to come to Warehouse probably about I don't know seven, eight times if not more before I finally started and before I finally said okay. I'm gonna go. She'd always been asking me, and um, I knew that I needed to go, and I kind of kept pushing it off. Um, oh, I'm not ready. And I think even one time I told her, I don't have anything to wear. Um, and so I didn't make it, but I think it was the timing was just right, and her persistence and, and, um, and asking me and where I was at in my life that. I was at a place where I knew that, that God was calling me back to Him and it just fit together so beautifully. And it's amazing to see God at work in that, that I just knew when I came here that this is where I needed to be. Um, I had been off the track for so long um, and I always yearned and I longed for um, my relationship with God to be restored, but I was so scared to do it on my own that I, I was fearful and um, knew that I just couldn't do it and so God blessed me with um, a beautiful friend that 
Um, and that talked me into going that one day and, and I haven't ever looked back. And it's crazy to think that it's been almost a year ago to the date um, that, I, that I started coming to Warehouse. This series, The Great Recovery, um, really resonates um, pretty deep within, within me and, and what's going on. I feel like God has been um, working in several different aspects of my life, trying to get my attention, um, trying to be, bring me to a place of complete surrender, knowing that, that I can't fix this, that I can't get myself together before I can come into His presence. Um, there's, you know, a lot of, of shame and guilt that, that comes from past mistakes that I carry that burden and um, I want to I wanna fix it and I want to be recovered from it, but um, God is ultimately the one that, that can restore and recover me from these, these chains of, of um, shame, guilt, doubt, fear. I just remember feeling this overwhelming yearning and um, calling that that things weren't right and that God wanted to come in and, and fix them. And I was counting on somebody else and on something else to fulfill me. And God was telling me that it's only him that, that can fulfill the needs that I was trying to fill in, in relationships, in things that were outside of a relationship with God. I just remember God was, was speaking to me and saying, Kristen, come back, come back. This is, this is not the life that I intended for you to live. Um, and I knew that everything was gonna be okay, that, that he had a bigger plan and a bigger purpose for me. And it didn't mean relying on somebody else, um, getting validation um, and love and acceptance from things that only temporarily satisfy you and don't completely fulfill you. And um, and it was the reassurance that I needed that um, everything was going to be okay. And he had bigger plans for me. Baptism to me is um, is my response of obedience to, to God calling me to Him and the cleansing and the um, restoration that comes along with that. That it's Him that that it ultimately is going to do that. It's not it's not me um, that's trying to clean up the mess that I've made. It's it's allowing Him to restore me, and this is my response to that. Love really is the only possibility of recovery that we have. That's how people, that's how people change. It's why in the Rembrandt's famous painting, The Return of the Prodigal Son, it's a, if you haven't seen it, you should. It's really a stunning painting where Rembrandt depicts what it, he, he thinks it would have looked like for the prodigal son to have come home and knelt before his father. And in a, a striking interpretation of that, a guy named Henri Nouwen, 
says in the end, we are all that prodigal coming before the Father, needing nothing but love that is unconditional. But then, as our heart is changed, he calls us to rise, and we become the Father. We become the ones who can turn to a broken and hurting world and care for them, such that they become alive again. That's an amazing opportunity. That's what love without condition can do. Uh, at this time, we're going to receive our offering as we move into a time of response. We do this as a way to frame the concept that we do believe that it is God who pursues us. It is he who loves us and he wakens us. And as he wakens us and makes us alive, that gives us the ability to rise, to turn toward the world, to turn toward him, and to give our life away. Let's pray. Lord, would you lead us in this time? We want to experience you, push away the cloudiness, push away the reticence, and allow our hearts to be open to you that we can turn and respond authentically, vitally, and vibrantly from what you're doing in our lives, whether it's with questions, with passion, with praise, with thanksgiving. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.